and welcome to today's Unpacked Short. I'm Charlie Pickles, I'm Managing Editor here at Unheard, and I am delighted as always to be joined by Peter Franklin. Hello. Hello Peter. So today we are discussing a fantastic uh, Unpacked that was up last week, and this was part of a series that we did at Unheard, examining trade uh, more broadly, but specifically uh, the impact of trade in China. Um, And you've taken a rather interesting perspective on trade in that the title of this piece is Why Trade Deals Are Murder. Yes. Um, Well, it's not a criticism of trade deals as such, but a way of describing what they're really about. Now, what you might think they're about is trade. Um, But according to Christoph Polk, um, and he's got an article in the Literary Review of Canada about this. They're not so much about trade, but about the ability of governments to rein in special interest groups within their own countries. And you give, uh, and the reason why, in fact, uh, the title is Why Trade Deals Are Murderous, you, you use a kind of great analogy uh, to a 1951 classic movie. Yes, Strangers on a Train. Now, that's uh, based on a Patricia Highsmith uh, novel in which two strangers meet on a train. They get talking. Um, Each has someone they desperately like to murder. One rather more than the other, as it turns out, but that's by the by. Um, And one of them, the more sort of psychopathic of the two, um, hits upon an amazing scheme, which is that each of them will murder the other person's intended victim, right? And that way there'll be no obvious connection between the murderer and the victim. Motive being one of the key things Indeed, that police look yeah, for. Exactly. And that will sort of stop the investigation from getting anywhere and both will get away with murder quite literally. Okay, so you've definitely piqued my interest. What on earth does that have to do with trade? Well, um, if you think about it, um, a trade deal, um, very often it's about stopping special favours for interest groups, um, you know, things like subsidies or sweet, sweet sweeteners and sort of various deals or various other favours that governments can do to particular industries. And, and particularly industries that presumably lobby very hard using copious amounts of cash to get their way. Indeed, yes, or copious amounts of influence or just because they're so determined because, you know, they've got an awful lot to gain, right? So... Um, The idea here, though, is that in a trade deal, a national government doesn't have to say no. They say to the lobby group, oh, we'd love to help you, but unfortunately we're bound by these rules. And, you know, if you want a loophole or or a get-out clause, you're going to have to ask all these other countries if it's okay. And, you know, so that way, (laughs) the analogy is that you get another country's government to knife your own lobby groups. And so you give an example in the piece um, relating to Japan and their rice tariffs, I think it was. Yeah, imposed duties of, wow, 778% on foreign rice, which of course makes rice incredibly expensive then, plus as 
piece explains, you then have to end up uh, trying to get people not to grow rice because actually everybody wants to do it because of such high prices. And, yes. and I think what you explain is that um, the trade deal, so the Trans-Pacific Partnership, enabled the Japanese PM to say, oh, well, of course, I'd love to carry on with, you know, this crazy situation where, you know, we're massively uh, uh, subsidising the rice sector, if you can call it yes. a sector. Um, but unfortunately, I can't. Yes, indeed. And, um, you know, he seems to, you know, for the first time in decades, um, seems to be getting some wins there and starting to squeeze out some of these these special deals which the Japanese economy is rife with. Um, and, um, you know, and it's that is, the, you know, a key reason for having these deals rather than, you know, just making trade that little bit more free. And arguably, it's much better for consumers, right? Because, you know, if you have high subsidies, you probably have high prices, and that's not in the interest of consumers. I mean, you can look at the sort of corporate welfareism that goes on in in America and thinking of things like sugar subsidies, which Mm. are costing consumers several billions of dollars extra uh, in terms of the cost of sugar than they would do if prices, sugar prices in America were not subsidised to the tune that they are. So, So, you know, this all sounds like a pretty good thing, you know, kind of big thumbs up for trade deals. But actually, you think there are some problems in here? Well, the big problem comes when... The group that is being constrained through trade deals isn't some narrow special interest, but a large part of the population. Um, For instance, that part of the population that is hurt more by, um, say, unrestrained immigration because it's their wages being driven down. Whereas the sort of winners in in that society get the benefit of cheaper sort of labor from you know waiting staff or builders or or what have you so nannies all of those sort of things so you get the sort of winners and losers and you know both should be able to make their influence uh, heard through in a democratic society and this kind of brings to mind um the discussion we had actually uh a couple of unpacked shorts ago, which was about the globalisation dilemma, um, which effectively, well, Peter, I'll I'll get you to explain it better, but effectively said, look, you can only have two out of three things, which is either globalisation, which is these big kind of multinational um, trade deals, um, and or democracy, nation state, but you can't have all three of those things. That's right. And I think what happens when trade deals are misused is that genuinely um, uh, legitimate democratic impulses like you know in the case of brexit or or um, you know um, people who voted for Trump and all they wanted was to be able to make a living in the parts of America where they live or indeed many of the the kind of populist sweeps we're seeing across Europe indeed their views are squashed and ignored on the pretext of saying oh I'm sorry we we um, we signed a free trade agreement and we can't control immigration for instance we can't control 
unfair trade terms because you know we've signed up to this so you people just have to go away and by the way we're, we won't compensate you in any way because why should we why should we strike any sort of a deal because this issue isn't even on the table because it's all constrained by the trade agreement now that genuinely is undemocratic and so essentially what what really we're saying is we trade one set of winners and losers with another set of winners and losers. But the difference being that whereas lobby groups probably, they may have a powerful voice, but they probably don't have millions of voters behind them. No. This new set of losers from the trade deals does. And that's where we see the upsets. Exactly. Um, you know, there, there are, you know, if entire parts of the country, their interests are marginalised, well, in a democracy and what remains of it, they can cast votes and they will use those votes. If they can't disrupt the trade deal, they'll do something else disruptive. And that's exactly what we saw with Trump, what we saw with Brexit. It will happen. Well, there we go. Peter explaining exactly why trade deals are indeed murder. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you, James, for producing this podcast. Uh, Thank you all for listening. We hope you have enjoyed it. Please do subscribe if you haven't already. And I mentioned at the start that this particular unpacked was part of a series on China and trade. We did have a fantastic audio documentary, and I do recommend, um, if you have a spare half an hour, that you give that a listen. Very, very informative. And please subscribe if you haven't already done so. (laughs) 